David Fincher and an all-star cast chronicle the story of the Zodiac Killer through the 1960s, 70s, and beyond. It's a return to the serial killer realm for the director, but unlike Seven, this one is based on true events. Welcome everyone to The Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. I went to the library. This is a movie podcast. We are working through the work of David Fincher, building up to his new movie coming out, The Killer, uh, starring Michael Fassbender. But uh, we've done Seven on Patreon. We did mm-hmm. The Game. Uh, mm-hmm. We've done Fight Club. We've done mm-hmm. Panic Room. So this mm-hmm. brings us to 2007's Zodiac which is going to be the topic of today. We'll start spoiler-free as we always do. I mean, obviously, it's based on true events, so it's a, it mm. you know, gets a bit murky as what you count as a spoiler or not, but we'll typically talk, not talk about how they handle certain things right. <laughs> uh, later in the story, certainly. Uh, but yeah, this came out in 2007. This felt like a movie that was, you know, after a, what, a five-year gap between this and Panic Room, it kind of felt like, you know what, oh, yeah. the guy who made Seven was destined to do a movie about a true story like this you know it's like there, there was influences in seven uh that were t- clearly taken from something like mm. the zodiac true story so it made sense that he was the guy to to sign up for this type of type of movie i i agree looking back on it like ha- having seen the movie now i agree mm. but i think if i was just told hey the guy who made fight club and panic room is now going on to do a biopic of zodiac i'd be like that's a weird choice but sure why not that's interesting you call it a biopic i don't know if i'd quite call it that i mean i guess the the way that i was always thinking of it as i was watching it is this is like the true crime documentary but just like slightly fictionalized but if anything i would say it's a biopic of uh what's his name robert graysmith jake gyllenhaal's character it's more his because it's because you know the movie has to kind of, you know, we don't know who the Zodiac Killer is, really, mm-hmm. you know, for at least for a lot of the movie. And even when it does sort of give you a good hint, in real life, there was never a complete confirmation yeah. of who it was. So, it, yeah, so it can't really be his biopic because we, <laughs> we can't really say for sure who that was. But, yeah, um, yeah. but, you know, this is a movie that spans a big time period. I think what's interesting watching this now is one having seven fresh in my head and a few other things but also having seen the two seasons of mindhunter that fincher yes. would go on to to do at netflix uh which i liked a lot and i'm kind of pissed still that he just kind of gave up and said nah this is a lot of effort i'm not going to do any more seasons yeah it's i i gotta admit i haven't caught up completely i got about three quarters away through season one and then i just fell away from it due to other reasons so i i've always wanted to go back I need to sit down and rewatch it. So it's it's very much still worth watching. There is like one little thing that it keeps teasing that it's building up. Where you, it legitimately feels like it's teasing this thing that it's going to build up over like five six seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the focus by any means, so it's not a big deal that it will never get continued. But it is kind of annoying because I'm like, you clearly had a plan that you were going somewhere with this. That you're you're, you're it, it, you know the killer they were teasing in these little flashes were was probably going to be like the big killer they go after in the final season. That that would be oh, the, yeah. the assumption, right? Mm-hmm. But nah, whatever. Anywho, <laughs> uh, 
yes, Zodiac. Uh, so based on a true story, uh, I, I'm pretty sure when I first saw this, I never heard of the real Zodiac. This is probably where I learned about a lot of of this stuff. Obviously, this is something that happened in the late '60s and early '70s. So obviously, mm. well before our time on this earth. Right. But uh, yeah, uh, for me, I think I think I had heard of Zodiac before this, but only because I I was a lot like Graysmith in that I just I growing up I loved little puzzles and stuff like that. Oh, and so I came across I think Zodiac's code as I was like browsing online and i'm like oh what's this what's going on here and then of course in my like you know 11 year old mind i'm like i could do this it's like <laughs> no of course not but i gave it a shot anyway i'm not even sure 30 year old you could do this <laughs> i mean if if it's just the substitution cipher if i really wanted to get down to it i probably could but there's a matter of how much time am I willing to sink into that? And the answer is not much. There you go. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about doing these seasons where we're going through a director's work, it is mm -hmm. quite interesting tracking their periods and, like, when they had, like, a, a taste for a certain thing that was there for a few movies and then they kind of moved on from. And mm -hmm. we were saying during Panic Room that we, we couldn't really remember exactly what stuck around after because because panic room fight club did a couple of things sort of you know that clearly he was into and a this, few thematic links yeah and this still has a couple of those things i think the two things that are lingering here for me in this movie is however he shot panic room he's still using for zodiac he still has that kind of digital noise mm -hmm. kind of griminess to it which i don't think holds up very well because it, it does look like it it makes it look a little cheaper than it should. Like, if he had just shot this in traditional film, it would look better, right? That's, and again, yeah. that's not to say the cinematography is not good, because it is, but it's the type of cameras and, like, sort of recording that he's doing is just, it's just not holding up, really, in terms of, like, what other stuff. And maybe it didn't distract too much at the time, because at the time, we were watching everything on, like, standard DVD, more or less. Although this was just mm -hmm. about getting into the HD era. Um, yeah. you know it, it it didn't seem like that big a deal on dvd next to other movies but you know watching these now in hd or 4k whatever you know depending on which ones are available it, it does stick out a little bit more uh as like a, oh i'm glad this was a fad that directors kind of moved on from yeah but uh th that's there the cg transitions are gone there are a couple of establishing shots in this that are clearly cg um mm. there's one shot in particular looking down at the golden gate bridge and the cars are very clearly these little cg cars going back and forth yeah. and i'm like you know what it's not as egregious as the because it's not like it's a fairly static shot so it's not this like oh we're going to go down the drain pipe and out through this vent <laughs> and like at least it's not as, as like in your face with it so and it's definitely much less it's like only a few shots where you can kind yeah. of feel oh there's a bit of a cg feel to this uh, but by and large, this felt like it was kind of him, I wouldn't say going back to his roots, but he's definitely going back to some of the influence on his first big hit. And it feels like he's back in the serial killer wheelhouse. Obviously, there's differences mm -hmm. because one was a completely fictional story where they had complete control over what the narrative was and what they were going to do with it. Here, they're basing it on a true story. So there's at least, it has to be some tether to what the real events were and what the structure of that is and what that says you know what the story's saying about things yeah you know it's it strikes me in the same sort of way the way that nolan did like dunkirk or oppenheimer mm. in that it strikes me as something that 
it really is a personal interest for Fincher, like the mm. whole Zodiac case. I think it's something that he had in, uh, maybe it was when he was researching Seven, maybe it was when he was just, you know, doing it in his own time. But I think that he was really into the Zodiac case and he wanted to make sure that when he put it to film, it was as accurate as he could reasonably get it. And I think he did a really good job at that. I think Oppenheimer is a really good... I was actually thinking of Oppenheimer a little bit while I was watching mm. this, in that it's quite long. Um, yes. Actually, I thought it was going to be almost three hours. It turns out it's the director's cut that's just about three hours. The theatrical mm. cut, which I watched, was about two hours and 35. So still okay. very long. That's what I had. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but much like Oppenheimer, it, like, it, this one doesn't jump around in the timeline, really, but what it does do is that there's so many details and so many things are going through that much like Oppenheimer, there's no way we're going to go through this in order with every detail yeah. that they no. sort of go through. It's impossible. There's just too many of them. There's too many scenes to, yeah. to possibly do that with. So I, I was thinking a little bit about Oppenheimer in that respect as I was watching mm -hmm. this. Uh, the fact that Robert Downey Jr. is in both, <laughs> complete coincidence, but uh, there he is. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a story of the Zodiac Killer, someone who was a, a serial killer, late 60s, early 70s, who started sending letters to the press, um, basically, you know, taking credit for the credit. It's, it's very Riddler, and if it wasn't for the fact that the Riddler already existed for decades <laughs> before this, <laughs> I would have said the Riddler was definitely inspired by Zodiac. Obviously, I've got a feeling Riddler skewed more towards Zodiac after this. Yeah, but... it's, it's, it's the question of I I've never personally read the Golden Age or Silver Age Riddler stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he like did his crimes differently, but nowadays you you can just imagine those stories of yeah no the Gotham Gazette or whatever gets a yeah. letter in the mail with a riddle on it. It's like well this seems familiar. I mean the Batman he was very Zodiac esque yeah. in that absolutely like, it absolutely yeah. was. So yeah um, that's it. So we'll, we'll 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 get our general feelings out of the way. We'll go down the mm -hmm. major cast uh, like we normally do and uh, get into just some things we can do without spoilers, and then we'll we'll go into all that stuff afterwards. So, yeah. uh, David, how do you feel about Zodiac? Um, well, Zodiac just for complete discretion here. I have watched this one probably three or four times already. I. I enjoy this one. I think it is a solid film to keep coming back to because, strangely enough, it is so long and so dense. Like, it's not long because they're just padding it out with who needs this stuff. It is constantly throwing information at you mm. and is more or less just here's the facts of the case constantly. So every time you watch it, I feel like unless you're paying extremely close attention the first time through and like taking down notes... You can find new things that link to later things in the film. You can see these little links that they have in the characters' minds, but they don't explicitly say out loud. And I feel like every time I watch it, I get a little bit extra there. Watching it back this time, I do think that there is a point... I don't want to say third act, because it's not the third act. There's a point in the second half of the second act about okay. an hour and a half in where it feels like the momentum of the movie just kind of fully stops and they have to take a new avenue for like an hour before they finally get to a climactic point. Joe, it's funny you say this because uh, I was watching this last night and mm -hmm. I was getting hungry uh, mm -hmm. about halfway through and there's a point, I think, is that what you're talking about, where it feels like it's... 
Like, if this was a play, this would be where the intermission would be, and it felt yeah. the perfect time to pause it and go get some food and then come back and finish it, because it really felt like it was starting, like, a whole new chapter, because there's a bit of a time jump for a start, but even just right. outside of that, there's... It feels like a, a transition into the next part of the story. Um, yeah. So I, I, I kind of get what you're saying there. Yeah, but that's the that's the only thing that looking back on it, on this viewing that I can really point to and say that might be a major flaw in the structure of it to just completely come to a dead stop and start with another thing. But then I view it through the lens of this is how the investigation went. This is how, as they were breaking this down, things ended up going. And in that regards, I respect it all the more because it's screw the way of normal structure for film. It's doing this as closely as possible. So I got to give Fincher some props for that. Yeah, I've got I've got thoughts on that. Uh, but okay. just general feelings uh, as a good movie. Like it's it's mm-hmm. you know I, I I saw it once before this. I saw it when it came out. Uh, I don't know if I saw it. In, I don't think I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it like at home the year it came out mm. and. For whatever reason, I just I never went back to it until now. Um, but it, I remembered liking it, and it is a very solid movie. The scenes where you see the Zodiac, you know, has like you know crime scenes, has murder scenes. Yeah, those are very tense and well directed. The investigation side of it is quite compelling. I do think uh, that in the last hour, like they start running through names and facts so much that it actually becomes yeah. quite hard to keep a track of what what he's looking at or what he's looking for. You get the broad strokes and you get the important parts that actually like give you the the solutions and things like that that they're coming to. But mm. it definitely there was a couple of times where I'm like, okay, he's just said, "What about this person?" And I'm like, look, this name came up once, like ninety minutes ago. I don't remember who you're talking about. But yeah, so the, you know, it's 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 a bit dense in that, and I know it's because it's based on a real case. I think what you were saying there about it forgoing regular movie structure to be closer to, you know, what the real events were, I think that's a double-edged sword. And I think it's why, if I'm comparing this to Seven, the reason why I think Seven is a better film is because Seven's not based on true events, it crescendos perfectly. And the, Mm. the story's constructed, so you have the build, you have the payoff, you know, you're at your most tense going into the third act, and then the final moments, like, kind of, like, punctuate the whole thing. Uh, whereas with Zodiac, and th- th- this is something that I feel about, it's funny you said biopic, Ellie, even though I wouldn't call this a biopic, but I would yeah. say I feel this about biopics generally, is that because you have to follow the events of a real person, you don't get to actually have a satisfying movie structure, and mm. I, d- I don't think this suffers too much from that. I think this is still a very compelling watch. I think this is... As far as comparing it to other like movies like that, I think this is very high on the list. Uh, but I do think if I'm comparing it to Seven, because naturally, you know, as as we talk about Fincher's movies, we're going to be sort of internally ranking them in our heads, and yeah. you know, we'll be slotting them in places. And if I'm arguing why I think Seven's better than this, um, I think it's that. I, I think it is. It's more of a character story uh, for the two main characters, where there's an arc and there's a payoff. Whereas hmm. this. Um, you know, I, I enjoy the characters in it. They're very well portrayed by by the cast, uh, but they don't quite have the same beginning, middle, and end because it is based on a true story where they didn't just have a neat character arc. They didn't just, you know, come to a, a yeah. satisfying conclusion. And that's part of the point, I get, you know, mm-hmm. but again, if I'm comparing the two, that's where I'd come down on. But yeah. it is very good. I, I think it's very well directed. I think the, the case is compelling and, you know, 
it's it is an interesting slice of history that seemed worth making a movie about so yeah in regards to what you said about the character arc thing though i think that i think the acting in this movie is some of the best that i've seen in this like type of movie because a lot of people whenever Mm -hmm. they are uh putting on you know they they're portraying a real person they seem like they're more focused on the mannerisms or they're more focused on just trying to imitate the person themselves rather than playing an engaging character I think that these people, whether or not they're imitating the real people, they are very engaging as characters. Sure. I'm very interested in each of them. But with what you were saying about character arcs, I think Jake Gyllenhaal's character is the only one who even has half an arc, if even. And like the thing that comes to mind is at one point in this movie, um, there's a cop character who is accused of basically forging Zodiac letters. Mm. Seems like it's going to be a big deal ends up resulting in nothing, yeah, honest, at least narratively. Uh, it's, it's based on a true story. It does that thing at the end where some text comes up saying, you know, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah is now doing this and blah, blah, did this. When it yeah. mentioned uh, the person who was accused of this thing was acquitted of it, I went, oh yeah, I forgot that was... A th-. Like, like, I'd literally right. forgotten it because it was such an unimportant detail in the scope of the movie, even though it feels like a big detail if you actually stop mm-hmm. and think about it. Uh, so I, I think that's a, a fair point. So yeah, as far as the cast goes, since we're kind of uh, tapped on around them, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal plays Robert Graysmith, who's a cartoonist at the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the interesting things about this movie as well, actually, is that he's kind of introduced like he's the main character, but then he's kind of left behind when we eventually get introduced to the, the main cop, which is played by Mark Ruffalo, because yeah. it becomes about the investigation, and then it swings back to to Jake Gyllenhaal later on when the case mm. kind of goes a bit cold but he's still kind of obsessed with it and wants to try and you know help solve it so yeah. it does have this kind of weird uh push and pull between which character is driving the movie at any given point point. Uh, mm. and then the other big name in it you've got is robert downey jr who plays the reporter who does the crime stuff at the newspaper uh paul yep. avery so those are your big three but there's actually a lot of other faces in here uh, that are definitely mm. worth mentioning uh, anthony Wed- edwards is mark ruffalo's partner uh yep. as a police officer uh brian cox shows up in an interesting role uh <laughs> there's a reference he makes or a character makes about him at one point and i went wait what and i googled the, the real guy and i went oh yeah this lawyer was in an episode of star trek fair enough does he look uh, anything like him was it anything close uh i wouldn't say it looks like him. It, the, the real guy was a bit chubbier i would say but mm-hmm. you know yeah, uh, fair enough. but brian cox is a great actor so i'm not uh mad at oh, him yeah popping in for a spell it was just funny though because he says oh it's a shame about star trek and i went oh yeah this is 1969 it just got cancelled yeah (laughs) what what a slice of uh time period here um we have john carroll lynch um Mm -hmm. as one of the suspects he's uh he's good in this and i have seen him in other stuff since this and he tends to be a he's more of a character actor uh in most things really Mm. Uh, here it feels a little bit different because of the type of role he's playing uh chloe savini's in here as a love interest for jake gyllenhaal mm-hmm. um we have but we have some other notable faces popping up in small roles delmont Mulroney's in here as a cop um i've never been terribly fond of him but he's fine in this because he doesn't really do anything but yeah I, honestly i'm looking at his face now i'm not even sure who he was he, i can't remember which one he was he was just a cop who occasionally gave orders to uh mark ruffalo but he he was like he was kind of dodgy in stream sex and he was dodgy what was the other thing i saw him in uh, in the last couple of years i can't remember but he's he's been mm. some things um one that stuck out to me because it's the second movie this year with this actor we've done 
is mm. Elias Cateus, uh, who's yes. a, co- a cop at one of the other precincts, because the crimes take place over different, you know, cities and towns. Um, yeah. He was Casey Jones in Ninja Turtles 1 and 3. He was. So it was nice to see him. It was like a little little return of form. Yep. Very nice. And then, and then the last big name I would say on here is Donald Logue, who yeah. again is just another, like, police captain or something like that. But he's a... Uh, He's he's fine. He's good. Yeah, it's a, sm- really it's a small role, but you know he's a face that you might recognize because he's been in, you know, various mm-hmm. things. I actually just saw him in an old episode of X Files uh, in the oh. last couple of weeks. All right, but uh, most people know him from Grounded for Life. And uh, what was the what was the cop show he did? Was it just? It wasn't Justified, was he? He was in Gotham. He he was in Gotham. I wasn't thinking yeah. of that. He's, he's in a show that was on FX or something like that. It wasn't that wasn't Justified. Um. I'm looking. Would have been a while back, wouldn't it? Pro- probably a little while back, yeah. But yeah, well, regardless, you Sons know, of he... Anarchy. Well, hold on, that's only seven episodes. I don't know if that's the one that he'd be known for, but Sons of Anarchy is definitely one of them. That's definitely not what I was thinking about. I think it was All a right. show that got cancelled after like one season, but people who watched right. it really liked it. But anyway, um, but that, yeah. So the cast is obviously fairly well uh, stacked. Um, mm. the only other thing I'll mention is the boss from Fight Club, like the like Edward Norton's boss. He pops up in a a small oh, role yeah. as well. I completely missed him, but you're right, that is him. Yep, yep. So, yeah, a lot of characters. Uh, mm. this movie spans a lot of years, spans a lot of different cities and towns in California. So there's yeah. a lot of uh, ground to cover. Uh, but yeah, so. So I guess the one thing before we really get into spoilers, though, that I do want to point out is, as you're saying, this covers a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I both did and didn't think it did a good job of conveying the passage of time in that I could feel in the sense of the whole movie being completed that a lot of time had passed. I got that feeling. But in between scenes where they come up with these little title cards saying eight months later, nine months later, three months later... It just, it never quite registered for me. I never really felt it on a gut level of, okay, time has passed. We are now in a different season or something like that. I think by the 45-minute mark or so, uh, we've moved our way to Christmas of, like, the first year of these murders. Didn't feel any different from the beginning, which was the 4th of July. It all felt, like, exactly the same to me, time-wise. Yeah, well, I think that's why they use those holiday specific. I mean, obviously, mm. I'm sure the murder really occurred in that day, right. but uh, like you know, they, they really emphasize it's Fourth of July in that opening scene, and they really, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say they emphasize it's Christmas when they get to, but there's a Christmas tree in the background at the very yeah. least. I I think the biggest problem for me is that this is all in Southern California, which is uh-huh. not going to have like snow and stuff. It's always going to look like July or what I picture July to look like. So it's hard to get those sort of visual cues of it's winter, therefore there's snow sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's not a whole lot of other things they probably could have done here. Um, mm. Again, it's one of these things where sticking to the real timeline of events it is kind of weird to stop and think, well, it wasn't as, you know, because the first half of the movie, especially, is, there's a lot of like adrenaline in the script in mm. terms of, it moving from like okay this letter to this incident to this letter to this tv show thing and in real time these were spread out over a year or whatever yeah. there was a lot of downtime in between where they were having time to think about it and you know theorize and whatnot and the movie has to kind of speed through that and it feels weird to say it's speeding through something because obviously it's such a long movie 
Yeah. But it, it is relative to the time that it actually took place over. And, you know, at one point, there's like a four-year time jump. And it's like... Yeah. You know? But see, that's that's the sort of thing where I think they should have gone the Avengers Endgame route. Where throughout the rest of this movie, they could have had just, you know, these tiny little subtitles saying eight months later, three months later, fine, whatever. But whenever they made those big jumps, those years later ones, those are the ones I think they needed to really emphasize and pause for and say, hey, a lot has time has passed since you've last seen these characters. Instead, they use the same titling sequence, and I never quite internalized that this is any different than yeah. the other time jumps. And you need like just a plain black screen with big text saying four mm-hmm. years later. Yep. So sort of really took a boom. And like, okay, time has passed. Let's see where everything is now. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. So, yeah, I think well, I think we'll have to say spoilers just so we can freely jump around and talk about things. Uh, mm-hmm. So, spoilers for Zodiac if you have not seen it. The first thing I want to bring up, funnily enough, uh, I'm mm-hmm. jumping right into the middle of the movie here, but okay, I, I want to bring this up because it's it felt weird because we're we're almost at about a year of doing this show. Um, yes, I think. I mean, this will be going out, I think, towards the end of October. This is the, this is the last week of October, yep. Yeah, and we started November last year. Our first mm-hmm. episode, if yeah. you, those of you who may recall, <laughs> was Dirty <laughs> Harry, which I, I do remember talking a little bit about how, oh yeah, some of this stuff with the killer is kind of inspired by Zodiac. Mm-hmm. I don't think I remembered for a second that Dirty Harry comes up in this movie and like some of the characters are kind of pissed because there's already a movie where a hero cop like takes out the killer and we're still trying to figure out who this asshole is and seeing those reactions and how it's referenced even later on in the film Mm -hmm. um because it cuts to that because they say they're going to the movies and it cuts to like a scene from dirty harry and i'm like wait a minute this is all (laughs) clicking for me now it it doesn't even reveal it's dirty harry at first like if you've seen dirty harry you know it yeah yeah yeah. i it's it's a letter from scorpio saying how he's gonna like shoot a bunch of kids on a school bus and i'm like that seems really familiar have we watched this movie before and then it exits the theater and shows dirty harry i'm like oh yeah i immediately noticed what it was and just sort of like i I got like it feels weird to say i i like i had like a fist pump moment but i was like oh shit we're coming full circle here baby perfect timing too dirty harry and I don't think it clicked in my head that Zodiac, for, you know, because again, I'd been so long since, since I'd seen this. I didn't remember that was so heavily focused around San Francisco. So the fact yeah. that Dirty Harry was also set in San Francisco and took a lot of influence from it uh, really sticks out. Because yeah. when you think about it, Dirty Harry came out in like 70... I think they fudge it in this movie, actually, because I think they go to see it in 72 as if it's new, but it's actually a 71 movie. But, mm. you know, whatever, it's not slight fudge. Well, I mean, back then, movies also had a different release sort of schedule because there was no such thing as home media either. So it could have been like true. on a re-release or something. That's true, but it is San Francisco. And the way yeah. the theater was packed made it feel like it was opening weekend. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, I mean, it's not a big deal. Um, but it, it does make you think about how, like, when Dirty Harry was being written, right, it came out in 71, which means it must have been written in 69. That Zodiac stuff must have been, like, fresh and ongoing. Like, it must have oh, been yeah. actively in the papers when they were writing that script. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, I, I don't know. It, it just it blew my mind a little bit uh, when it popped up in here. And I think I especially appreciate that, you know, Dirty Harry was very much this almost fantasy of, like, You've got this character who's going to break the rules to do what's right and take out what is effectively the Zodiac killer. 
And later on in this movie, Jake Gyllenhaal's kind of put together that he's pretty convinced who the Zodiac Killer is. And he Mm. says to Mark Ruffalo, yeah, we can't prove it, you're right, but that doesn't mean it's not true. And Mark Ruffalo says, hold on, Dirty Harry. It's the one reference back to it later on in the movie. And I actually really appreciated that because the way they've used it here is like, even though we're watching a movie, he's basically saying, this is real life, we have rules. And there's a reason why in real life, some rogue cop never just, you know, went after the main yeah. suspect and, and dealt with him. Um, but I, I thought that was a really well-used bit of I mean, I also culture. like the fact of going back to, like, his first film of Seven, there's a whole sequence there where they bend the rules and they mm-hmm. do what they have to in order to get some evidence or whatnot. I like how in this movie it is, you know, he's still pulling on those strings, but he's like, no, we're going to follow the rules straight up here. Yeah, we're not well, gonna. To be fair, to be fair, a lot of his, a lot of uh, Robert uh, Jake John Hall's character, a lot of his investigation because he's not a cop, he's not even a reporter, he's a cartoonist. No. Yeah, when he starts looking into things and like a couple of cops basically give him access to evidence, there, there are, there is some rule breaking going on. This is not exactly following oh, yeah. like the the rules exactly, but of course, anything he finds, they can't really use. It's not you know, it's it's not like oh, he can go off and try and be a hero and take yeah. out the killer. It's not that. But it's it's quite literally the equivalent of a true crime podcast nowadays. Yeah. Like it could pull up new information that then the police could investigate, but it's not evidence within its own right. But I think it's interesting that even in real life with the Zodiac Killer, admittedly a little bit after the fact because it was a few years later, there was like, OK, that's bend the rules a little bit because maybe maybe mm-hmm. it'll come up with something. Maybe it's worth like yeah. seeing where this leads. Um and I, I thought it was interesting to compare that to the, the, the very fictionalized inspiration that, you know, ended up in Dirty Harry. And that, that whole, like, the theme of that movie about him being this relic of, of, of a black and white time when things are more shades of grey and mm-hmm. how he's going to do one last good thing before he calls it quits by taking down this really bad guy that needs to be stopped. And then mm-hmm. in real life, you know, comparing that to the Zodiac, we're like okay, we kind of think we know who it probably is, but we can't really prove it, and we have to kind of just live with that. I, yeah. I thought that was a very interesting comparison point and a really smart use of it. Um, I also, I mean, I can't remember all the beats exactly for Dirty Harry, but I also think that it's super interesting in this movie how frustrating as a viewer it is, because we see all of these things that they label as circumstantial. Yes. It's all these just coincidences. But the actual like hard evidence things that they keep coming back to over and over again is handwriting analysis. And you just want to like shake them by the collar and say that's stupid. Just follow the other stuff. But it's like all coming down to just handwriting. And it's it's so infuriating as a viewer. But I get it. And the fingerprint as well at one point or a Mm -hmm. partial fingerprint. Which at, then at that one point they say like that could have been anybody's. Like, yeah, yeah, there's no reason to assume it's our guy. Yeah, and that's something that comes up a few times here, where someone just assumes a piece of handwriting comes from the Zodiac mm-hmm. killer, and it's like ah no, that may have just been someone else that wrote that. There's no guarantee that was him. So yeah, yeah um, obviously yeah, part of this is the, the the feeling of frustration when you feel like wait they've basically got this solved, but obviously mm-hmm. we, but then. But, you know, we, we did uh, on the Criterion Cut, we did 12 Angry Men. And I'm yes. like, in my head, I was imagining, okay, this case goes to court with all the evidence we've seen. And I think as a viewer, we're pretty convinced of who someone is by the end of this movie. But then mm. I imagine those 12 Angry Men in the room and being like, yeah, but we can't explain like most of this away. Um, yep. But I, I think this, this taps into 
the idea that like and i'm not saying i have this obviously the movie's presenting it to me and pre- mm-hmm. present it in a way but there's the scene where they go and interview who ends up being like the main lead suspect and that's uh arthur lee allen played mm-hmm. by john carroll lynch when they eventually like sort of track down this guy's name and they realize oh he could be a suspect and ruffalo his partner and uh i guess cateus yeah his character who's yeah. there as well uh mm-hmm. they all go to see him right and they sit down and talk to him they pull him out of his work and this guy is flaunting the clues in oh, their yeah. face and like that, that this was the part that made me think of of, of riddler more than anything is that he's, he's flashing the zodiac watch at them right mm. uh he's 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 and the camera focuses on his shoe at one point because one of the evidence that we found at a crime scene earlier was a footprint of like a size mm. 10 whatever and it was like he's basically taunting them in plain sight he's yeah. basically saying i'm the killer and you're not going to catch me without saying those words and yeah. it's it's like oh, like that's, like that's that, the, there's a there's a line in that scene where he specifically nobody is prompting him everyone's just looking down at their notebooks oh, is whatever, this, and, he's this, like, the, and he's like the reason there was blood on those knives is because i was killing chickens earlier and everyone's like i'm sorry what what bloody <laughs> knives i'm like, what and he's like oh I had some bloody knives. He's got, he's, yeah, he's got a reason for everything. It's almost like he's rehearsed this in his head so many times that he's jumping ahead to his next bit without being prompted. Yeah. Uh, and then he just, the way he stands up and then goes like, you know, I look forward to a day when police officers are no longer referred to as pigs. And it cuts to uh, Anthony Edwards' character. He just goes like, thanks. thanks. <laughs> he's just kind of confused. And he walks off and... You know, John John Carlinchi's performance is good, and he's only in two scenes. Mm-hmm. He's in this scene, and then he's in a scene, at the you know, very very towards the end. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's it. That's all it is. And it's one of these things where it's an interesting companion piece to, to Twelve Angry Men because the rules of Twelve Angry Men, which I agree with the logic in that movie, is mm-hmm. that well, we can't prove this, and we're sentencing someone to you know death or whatever. We have to take this seriously, and if there's any doubt, we have to acknowledge that, and we have to you know follow that through. But mm-hmm. this is like the other side of that where, you know, some police officers, you know, in the history of hunting serial killers, some of them have definitely sat down with a suspect and they can just tell. They know it's them. But yeah, like they, they, they can't do anything about it. Like there's no evidence. They can't prove it. And on some level that is like rage inducing. It's maddening. Like, you you yeah. can just tell. You can't, and obviously you can't convict someone in just a feeling, but people obviously have those feelings and sometimes they're going to be right they won't always yeah. be right and that's important but it's it's one of those things where we're happy to have the bureaucracy of it because it protects innocent people and obviously that needs to come at the forefront that needs yes. to be the most important but then every once in a while the bureaucracy will also protect a clearly guilty person and yes. it's one of those things where it's like when that happens it's so frustrating to the point where you just want to toss the rest of it aside just for right now yeah. and say just do what you must dirty but that, harry but go for it uh, yeah and that's the fantasy of that movie but the reality is you can't because then it puts every innocent person who's right. ever been caught up in danger and just to tack on as well it's in theory supposed to te- protect innocent people that's not always the case in fact case True. in point in this very movie Right mm-hmm. after there's a crime scene, it's like the third kill, I think it is. It's where it's when he kills a, a, a cab driver in San Francisco because they've all been mm-hmm. in like smaller towns like around California, but this one's in San Fran, and yeah. it's very different from his other kills and whatever. But when Mark Ruffalo arrives at the scene, and this is basically his introduction in the movie, like you see him wake up before, but this is basically his uh his entrance. Mm-hmm. He comes in, 
and the other detective there tells him oh yeah we accidentally told uh all the you know patrolling cars that the suspect was black and mm. he's like you did what and he's like so we corrected it. it's like oh that's good but it's like we find out later that a patrol car saw the suspect probably yep. the killer walking from this crime scene but never stopped them because they were, they were looking for a black guy and not a white guy yeah and that i think there's not a lot of political commentary on there of that kind in this movie i don't think but that little nugget is just there to be like hey just we're not ignoring the bullshit either yeah no for sure i definitely do think that's one of the few times they'd like dip into race or whatnot but i think that the larger theme that that brings up because it is a major theme is just how unorganized and how individual each of these different police stations are oh yeah and none of them are talking to each other none of them are sharing information it takes months into this before some of them figure out that they have evidence that other places don't and it's just infuriating to see these like even by the time you get to the movie one of them is saying uh like oh yeah so and so had this person as a suspect and mark ruffalo is like what why yeah. were we never fact, told about this? Even late on when uh, Hall's given him his findings and he's got these, like, a few smoking guns that he's talking about, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that he's got is like, wait, where did you get that from? And he's like, oh, from this other precinct. And he's like, they had that this whole time? Yeah. Like, you know, he has that reaction. Um, and this this non-communication is uh, greatly shown in a scene where Anthony Edwards is trying to coordinate with the other yeah. departments and he's phoning them and it kind of cuts through these different phone calls and you can tell he's getting stressed trying to juggle like oh you need this bit of evidence oh well fax oh we don't have a fax machine yet which given the time period makes sense yeah. it's like okay i'll mail it and i'm like you have to wait for the mail to like show this other department evidence i guess it makes sense because it's 1969 yeah. but jesus christ the whole thing is is this mess and the other big thing on this subject of like these pieces of evidence not being shared properly and you know mark ruffalo's character not even knowing about you know whatever the thing was in the other department um mm. uh, you know that was relating to the like the fact that one of the victims probably knew him right it was like yeah. someone in, in her life which we we saw insomnia that you know it usually <laughs> starts with someone they know yeah uh but the thing that i was thinking about throughout this is how much of this movie and indeed the the real thing as they were like interviewing witnesses or character witnesses or just people who might know a suspect or people who might have known someone who knew one of the victims so much of it in this movie is it it was frustrating me i get it that it's it's probably true of the time period but it was so maddening to me that they never had a photo to show anyone of anyone like yeah everything was very much oh yeah there was this guy and he he was you know he was he was kind of stocky white with with dark hair i'm like okay but there's there's points later on where it's like, um, you know, someone saying, "Yeah, she knew this guy, and he, he looked kind of like this." And I'm like, and I I I just I couldn't help but feel like the first time the cops in the middle of the movie go to speak to Arthur Lee Allen, mm-hmm. I get that there's probably a rule saying they can't just whip out a camera and take a photo so they can show it to people. Yeah, but it would. It, I felt like it would have just been solve so many problems if they could just say, "Hey." does this guy look familiar <laughs> to, yeah. to various witnesses or whoever it may be? And it would have gotten them so far, but they couldn't. And part of that's mm-hmm. the time period. These days, you know, everyone has at least some, like one photo on- online somewhere that will be tracked oh, yeah. down or something, mm-hmm. right? But then it goes down that same role, role no, the same route as 12 Angry Men did of, 
if they're innocent, you could be ruining this person's life by showing their photo for no reason. True, true. I mean, I think, again, though, in this time period, you showing a photo to one person you're asking questions about... Oh, yeah, in the it, time period. It doesn't spread around like it would today and, like, mm-hmm. get someone, you know... Yeah, uh, no, for sure. So, it's... It, it was, obviously, it's a very time-specific thing, but it was, like... In the same way that if you watch really old detective stories before they even had fingerprints, you're like, my God, how did they do this? Like, before they right. had these basic tools. In this, I'm going, oh, my God, the lack of communication, the lack of being able to just take photos of things and send the photo to someone mm-hmm. easily is just such a hindrance to all yeah. of this process <laughs> this is the sort of thing where it's it's also at least in the united states the way it works is that um the fbi only really gets involved if they cross state lines mm. so because this person stayed in california like if the fbi had come in they would have been able to contain all of this get all the information and have it all pulled out but because he stayed specifically in california it ended up being these tiny local little sheriff stations and police uh, precincts that were dealing with each of these individual crimes rather than the larger ones so it like you said it's just that frustration of the time of there is no central authority or even a way to share information easily the moment they said okay we'll send you our evidence by mail once we get your evidence by mail i was like this guy's just gonna get off scot-free there's no yeah. way that these guys are ever gonna be able that's, to catch that's, up yeah here. that's gonna take weeks and then yeah. Yeah, there's even that line later on um and this is after the four-year time jump where mm-hmm. Hall goes to Ruffalo and he's trying to, like, ask him questions and talk to him. And this is after R- Ruffalo has got in trouble because people have basically, you know, internal affairs have noticed that someone's given this this cartoonist information mm-hmm. and whatnot. And he's like, dude, the chances of us ever catching this guy now, it's been four years all the people who were involved and could be witnesses, their memory has faded a little bit. All the evidence has faded. That yeah. you know, like this has to be done quickly, and that has to, and that that absolutely has to be more true in this time period than even today. At least oh, today, yeah. with you know all these digital things and records and photographs and cameras and whatever mm-hmm. else, like there's definitely more in place to at least the like. Yeah, there's no. a, there's a reason that once we hit the mid two thousands, there was a very popular show called Cold Case, yes. like where people went back and they were like, "We've got new technology. Let's see how many eighty year olds we can arrest for murder." <laughs> yeah, although there is a statute of limitation on murder, is it not? No, not in America. No, okay. Mur- murder's scot free. If someone dies, you can investigate that as long as you want. Fair enough. That's, I mean, that's good. It, sh- it shouldn't have a st- mm-hmm. st- statute of limitation for certain things is absurd. There shouldn't be. Yeah. But you know, um, obviously. You didn't pay a parking ticket 30 years later. Who cares? But I don't know, man. <laughs> I've seen some real pieces of crap with parking tickets. <laughs> so uh. real quick, when you were talking about memories fading and stuff like that, I think that brings up what obviously is true, what obviously actually happened, but it's the most infuriating part for me mm. is that the very first murder that we see in this movie, which ends up actually being the second Zodiac killing, but the first Zodiac killing, nobody survived, so there was no way to put it on film with, like, what actually happened. But in the second Zodiac killing... Sure, that's actually a good point, is that... Because mm-hmm. I was thinking, why don't we start with his first killing? Because we hear, like, partway through the movie that there was an earlier victim. This is the one that might have known him personally, right? Mm-hmm. I was wondering, why don't we see that one? But I never, yeah, considered that idea that, yeah, there's a survivor in most of these after mm-hmm. the fact, or at least a witness. Obviously, the cab driver doesn't survive, but there is some witnesses 
right to, to, to piece it together how it yeah. happened yep so yeah um but yeah they, there's one kid who survives the first one and he just bails like the police he gets out of the hospital he recovers and the police want to talk to him and he just flees he does not want yeah. to be a part of this at all and he's the only person during this entire thing who saw the zodiac killer without a mask or anything covering his face and that is so infuriating the fact that especially because end of this movie he comes back and identifies arthur leal yeah, he I, points to him and says that's the guy i did not remember that jimmy smith showed up i mean paul yeah. showed up at the end of this movie <laughs> and i didn't get who it was at first and i think part of it is i'm like i don't know if he feels like he's the right age given that this thing happened no. in 1869 he feels a bit too young but you know whatever mm. um but even there though you the memory fading thing is that when this guy shows him the the, the photographs and i believe because there's like you know four or five zodiacs credited in the Mm-hmm. in the the cast list aside from uh, arthur lee allen's credited as him but there's like yeah. four other guys credited as zodiac and i want to say i could be wrong on this but i think that these four zodiacs they're all in this lineup of photos at the end but i think they also okay. play the killer in the different scenes like each scene's yeah. a different actor playing zodiac they they definitely play the killers in the different scenes i don't know about the lineup yeah and i think that's intentional so that he's always a little different just so that we are keeping mm-hmm. on our toes of like oh is it really so and so it's spoilers for um prestige it's the same issue that we had with one of the characters from that movie where if you recognize the person playing him it ruined the twist yeah this is the opposite of that though because they intentionally right, that's what i'm saying yeah, this yeah. is them subverting that getting around that yeah but anyway the, on the memory fading thing you know he points at uh, arthur lee allen I, I, I was going to say the actor's name. I thought I should probably say the the, the, the yeah. suspect, um, and and he's like, yeah, I think it's him. And he just says he's kind of had a round face like this guy, say implying that he maybe had a bit more weight at the time. But mm-hmm. the guy's like, okay, on a scale of one to ten, how sure are you? And he's like, at least an eight. And I was like, oh, that's a perfect number because it's like it's sure enough. That's like, yeah, that's probably right. But if it was a nine, you'd be like, yeah, okay, I believe one hundred percent. But it's just that low enough. That there's just mm-hmm. enough reasonable doubt that oh it's been a, it's been twenty plus years you know, yeah it, it, it was an, a traumatic night enough, you know yeah there's enough reasonable doubt that they can't arrest him immediately but they could definitely reopen the case and yeah. like get warrants for him now yeah uh, yeah one of the things that it says at the end is that after he died because he he basically died of a heart attack before they could really mm-hmm. look into this now it was um, after this airport meeting where they meet up with Jimmy Smiths. But then before they could ever actually, like, track him down and find him again, which is this movie, they may as well just call it like Zodiac colon the most infuriating thing, (laughs) because it's just over and over again, these things that just slip right through their fingers. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, there's a a little bit, there's a note at the end that says, you know, there was DNA found on one of the letters that didn't match Arthur Mm -hmm. Lee Allen. But again, like, that doesn't mean that he didn't write it, it doesn't mean that he wasn't the Zodiac um mm. not to mention that a lot of the letters as mentioned in the movie were not him like a lot of copycats started sending in mm. fake zodiac letters well, see i didn't get that i i there are, were people sending in like fake letters and stuff but even then i think the point they were trying to make was he committed four murders that were definitively confirmed as him because he provided details mm. that no one else could have had but then at a certain point after he fell out of the view for a while 
he started sending in a massive amount of letters. Like, I think they said four over the course of three months. But every letter he sent in specifically had only details that were in the newspapers. Oh, okay, okay. He so, didn't so, provide anything. Yeah, new. okay. So it was still him, but he was sending in letters for crimes that he didn't mm-hmm. do to try and stay relevant, right. effectively. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there were copycats as well, right? I'm sure they said that. Oh, yeah, yeah. There yeah. were. There was an entire sequence when they were interviewing people, and they were one lady came in being like, I'm the Zodiac. So yeah, okay, right, well, how, did, right. how did you kill people? And we'll talk about it separately, but the guy who called it at the TV show wasn't really him either. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so you've got, you've, you've got, like, all these elements. And I, I will point out, I don't know much about anything else other than this movie, as far as the case goes. I, I am hmm. aware that there has been books written, I don't know if it's after this movie or at least since the 90s, but there are books that make strong cases for why it's not Arthur Lee Allen. There is definitely hmm. a school of thought that it is someone else. Oh yeah. Um. So it, it, you know, I guess it's one of those. You know, you know, was there a second man who killed JFK kind of thing? You know, it's, that's, one, of, that's it's one of those. One of the points that um, it's it's obviously shut down in the narrative of the movie. But Jake Gyllenhaal gets home at one point after investigating some stuff, and he says, "There's got to be two killers. There's no other way to explain it. There's got to be two killers." And then he kind of mm. just drops that. But it is one of those things where it's like, okay, is there question mark? I mean, it certainly might have explained some of the conflicting evidence. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, so, you know, the, obviously the case is quite interesting because of all these things. And the idea that mm-hmm. he's taunting the press and saying, hey, you know, put this in your front page or I'm going to kill a school bus. I mean, yeah, is it, wor- is it worth to just really quickly go through the different murders that he definitively committed? I, mean, I, I think we absolutely should talk about those scenes, if nothing else, because those okay. scenes are... Or well, I mean, the movie opens with the Fourth of July, nineteen sixty-nine. I want to say, yeah. Um, and it's just this young couple who, um, I actually they referenced that she has a husband in this scene, and then later on they referenced that she had. I don't know. It was the no, the one he killed first that had multiple boyfriends, even though she was married. No, no, it was her. It was her. Was it her? Okay. Yep. Um. So it was this idea that uh, I, I was thinking, oh, because it's the 50s and because they kind of look like high school kids in, in movie terms, yeah. I thought they were that age, but clearly, obviously, they're a little bit older than that. Um, mm. But yeah, this scene's really well done. The car pulling up behind them when they're parked and like just sort of sitting there for a minute and then going away. And, then and you, can see, you can see the fear on the girl's eyes, not in that she's afraid of this stranger coming up, but mm. just the way she like mutters things. She may recognize who this is. Yeah. Like she... The the boy asks, like, oh, who was that? And she's like, don't worry about it. He's gone now. It's like, no, who was that? Yeah, you definitely read it a little bit differently when you go in knowing what the rest of the movie is going to be. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he comes back and he shoots them uh, multiple yep. times. Um, mm-hmm. This is not, I mean, honestly, there's only one scene that I would say is violent, and it's not this one uh, yeah. in terms of visually seeing something. But this is really well directed, and it's, it's a shock that the guy survives, to be honest, because he does take, like, five mm-hmm. bullets or something stupid like that. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the second kill is the couple at the lake, I want to say. Yep. In the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And this is, yeah, just a couple having a picnic by the lake. And the Zodiac walks up with his hood on and he's like Zodiac symbol. Uh, which He got a full villain outfit yeah. at this point. He looks he like it's a big target on his chest, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, although, as the other characters notice later on, the only time the word Zodiac and this symbol ever went together was in a, a watch brand. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he took his... And it, there was so see when he was like calling in and stuff, and admittedly it turns up not being the actual Zodiac calling in, but mm-hmm. I was sort of getting this impression that he's not the Joker, but he wants the public to think he's the Joker. Oh yeah, that was no the doubt. vibe I was getting. But anyway. this is this is that scene from Dark Knight when he calls into the station, 
mm. with the with the uh, Wayne Enterprises guy on air, and he's like, "If he's not killed in twenty minutes, I'm going to blow up a hospital." It was the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh. So. That, this is the scene that I think is quite violent, though, is this kill by the lake. Uh, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of begging, and, like, the guys try to, like, just sort of give his wallet over as if they're being mugged or whatever, and yep. he ties them both up, and they're both lying face down, and you think, I mean, we don't, I mean, the audience doesn't think he's going to go because it's Zodiac, but yeah. they think he's going to go for a second, and then he just comes over and starts stabbing the guy in the back. And you don't see mm-hmm. this, the camera hides the actual stabbing itself you just sort of see his reactions and stuff i was gonna say for him yeah no that's what i was getting at though that's why that's why the next part's so shocking is -hmm. that when he starts stabbing her it hides it at first it's not until he kind of flips her onto her side so he can stab her in the front and you Mm -hmm. actually see like three or four stabs like just really brutally in the front of her uh and i'm like holy shit that felt really brutal and it's almost like he's escalating because the first kill was just a gun it was you know it was very Mm -hmm. this very almost detached thing Whereas this one, he wanted to, you know, feel them die in his hands kind of thing. He yeah. wanted the, the the visceral side of it. The escalation. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's the, the second big crime scene. The third one's the mm-hmm. taxi cab, uh, yep. which is kind of just like a sudden, like, you know. Yeah, it seems to be, I mean, they there's apparently some kids in a building next door to him, and they call it in saying it's just a mugging. They think that it, this guy's just being held up. But it is... Apparently, it's more so for the purpose of he gets into the front seat and cuts off pieces of cloth from this guy's shirt, and that allows him to, every time he sends a letter from that point on, he can include this cloth and say, yeah, it's really me, you know, because his blood-stained shirt is here. Yeah, because before this, he just gives details that only the police know, and that's how they know Mm -hmm. it's really him. But then, yeah, from this, he starts sending in little patches. Because they they question this a lot. When Mark Ruffalo shows up and they're going through the crime scene, he keeps Mm -hmm. questioning why did he get in the front seat? There was nothing really worth stealing. He probably got himself covered in blood for no reason. Like, why did he do it? And it's because, yeah, he wanted this trophy. Not even for trophy's sake, just to use it as a, yeah, like you say, like a proof. You know? Like a calling card, yeah. Uh, so it's really well done. I, I like the detail here, actually, where Mark Ruffalo sort of walks down the street and is like, wait, the notepad and the, the cab driver says that he asked for this address, and but that's down the block. So he goes down the block and he's like, why did they go up here? And then mm-hmm. he realizes that where they stopped originally was very well lit. The streetlights were really illuminating yeah. that corner. So he's clearly said, oh, down the next corner, please, or whatever, to make mm-hmm. him go into the darker part of the street. Um, I, I thought that was a really neat little detail, uh, yeah. him figuring that out. I, I'm always a fan of the scenes in like cop procedurals and stuff like that, where they get to the crime scene and they do the like walking through it step by step. Because mm. it's just... Obviously, it's whatever the writers want them to know they can figure out in that moment, but it is always nice to see the chain of deduction that they go through and say, okay, yeah. if A, then B. If it's well written, through. it's very satisfying because it makes sense. And because this is based mm-hmm. on a real crime scene, I, you know, it, in this case, it's, as long as they've done the research, it's very easy for it to oh, feel yeah. natural and not like they're just making shit up. According to IMDb, before he made this movie, David Fincher spent 18 months just full-on research mode. Mm-hmm. He went to the library. He went to the library. Much like Jake Gyllenhaal did. Much like yes. Morgan Freeman did in Seven. In fact, they even try and get some suspects in this movie. Jake Gyllenhaal sees who checked out all the uh, code and cipher books. As they the, brought yeah. that up and I was like, Fincher, did you pull from this? <laughs> I think he did. No, I don't think he wrote Seven, but I'm sure he still maybe had some influence. Or yeah. at the very least, whoever did write Seven clearly was aware of mm-hmm. of Zodiac's... Uh, 
you know, case. Yeah, probably uh, read the Zodiac book by Graysmith. Yeah. Uh, was there another kill after this one that we see? Uh, so there wasn't a kill, but there was the scene with the mother and her baby oh, on the car okay. side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great moment. So, yeah, that's this mm-hmm. woman... Well, she doesn't even break down. She's actually just doing fine. And mm-hmm. for some reason, and I feel like no one would do this today because we're all more aware of serial killers and rapists and oh, shit. Oh, yeah. But for some reason, she pulls over for a car behind her who's signaling her, even though it's not a police officer. And the guy comes up and, you know, we're thinking Zodiac and it's not showing his face. And oh, he's yeah. like, hey, you're back, you know, right tires, like loose or whatever. I can, you know, fix that for you. And she's like, oh, would you if it's not too much trouble? And obviously I'm looking close. I'm like, he's loosening that. He's not tightening jack yeah. shit. Uh, and sure enough, like, you know, 30 seconds later, her wheel starts, you know, coming off. And he, st- he pulls over and he says, oh, I guess it was worse than I thought. And I was like, why do you believe in that? He clearly sabotaged that wheel. <laughs> <laughs> this was sabotage but yeah the line he delivers once she gets in his car to go to the you know the the next stop to to get mm-hmm. help um uh, which by the way i love that it's not until she's faced with this decision to have to go with this guy does it reveal she's got a baby in the car the, yeah. the scene hides that the entire time until it's almost time for that decision and mm-hmm. it's all and part of me is thinking is he going to like decide not to kill her because she has a baby because he says um, you know, oh, I didn't yeah. realize you had a baby. And she's like, is that a problem? He's like, oh, no, I'm more the merrier. I'm like, is he you cha-? say that, you say that in that tone, but he sounds genuinely disappointed. He's like, yeah, the more the merrier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But then three seconds later, after, after he's not stopped and she's just starting to get worried, there's mm-hmm. not even like a buildup, which is what I think I like about it. He just mm-hmm. like, it's like she's had her first sign that maybe there's something not quite right. And most movies, especially horror movies, would would gradually build that and there'd be more frantic realization. Mm-hmm. Here, there's the first little hint, and then after a second's pause, he just says, Before I kill you, I'm going to throw your baby out the window. Smash cut to black. Which is what I thought you were going to open this show with, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about it, but I wasn't uh-huh. sure if that would count as a spoiler. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just a movie. Yeah, it turns out that uh, this woman, to save herself and her baby, dove mm-hmm. out the car uh, herself holding the baby. And again, much like it had the baby before, when these like random passerbys, like a guy in a truck and a woman in a car, like stopped mm-hmm. to see her at the side of the road, and she mentions her baby, they're like, where's the baby? And again, it's hiding it from us. And it turns out she's hid it in a bush because in case she was worried the guy would come back. Uh, yeah. But like, it's, it's, but there's that moment of tension, like, wait you know uh, you know and it's almost like this close call is what maybe made him slow down because it like you know someone got away you know well yes and no because the part that they get to later on in this is robert downey jr talking to jake gyllenhaal and this is the first time where he points out he doesn't give any new information in his letter he Mm. he read he sees the story in the newspaper he compares it to the letter and all the stuff in the newspaper is also in the letter. Oh, so, so you, there's, you, you don't think this is him then? I think it, because the movie shows it, I think the okay. movie believes it's him, but I think that they also point out there is no direct evidence to say that this is actually Zodiac. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, because again, the way it was filmed, it felt like it was Zodiac to me. That's right. why I never really questioned it, but you're right. He does point that out. Um, yeah, one of the key details as well that comes up later is um, just to sort of piece some of this case together is that. Mm-hmm. After the police go and talk to Arthur Lee Allen, um, 
it turns out just a couple of weeks later he moved and probably got rid of any evidence he had that would have tied him to the case the idea that they spooked him so he got rid of he stopped sending in pieces of the bloody shirt because that's Mm -hmm. evidence so he's probably burned it or got rid of it somehow um you know, because when they because they eventually get a warrant to go and look at him and find him, and you know he's got a history. You know, he was fired from his job at a school for quote unquote touching the students. I like how the movie like questions that phrase for a second. He's like, "Oh yeah, he was touching the kids," and the other cops like, "Touching," and it's like, "I'm sorry, is that not a well known euphemism at this point?" I feel like that's when you say that, that's exactly what you think it is. I can, but yeah, I feel like it's probably. I think it's a combination of the time period where the idea of pedophiles was not as documented. Like they do mm. use that word later on, but I do wonder if, like, this hush hush, like, oh, we we don't want to just say that is is definitely something. Maybe I can I can believe that's a, yeah, a that's fair. Time period. I guess I guess I could I would picture it more in like the twenties, thirties rather than the seventies, mm. but I guess it probably would have been at that time as well. Yeah, so they mentioned that. They also, one of the big things that Jake Gyllenhaal kind of discovers when he sort of takes over and looks, because he basically, he tries to convince Robert Downey Jr. to write a book about the Zodiac to maybe uncover mm-hmm. more information. And he, at this point, is playing Robert Downey Jr. before he went to rehab and has no interest in, in yeah. doing that. Um, so Jake Gyllenhaal starts investigating things. And some of the things he discovers is that, yes, the killer probably knew his first victim and at mm-hmm. one point he goes to talk to uh, Clea Duval, who was in an episode of the hit television show but for the vampire slayer uh out of mind out of sight where she turned invisible because no one noticed her and i think that's funny because i forgot she was in this movie so it's a <laughs> perfect casting perfect casting um and yes yeah, it, it, it very much sounds like you know insomnia or a twin peaks where it's like yeah, she had this older kind of boyfriend uh, mm-hmm. and he came to this painting party. And this painting party has been mentioned a couple of times where, you know, she had people around to help her paint the house, whatever. And Well, they specifically mentioned that there was a guy named Lee there. But because he did... All of Jake Gyllenhaal's investigation at this point, which we'll get to, has transferred over entirely to a new guy named Rick yeah. Marshall. Yeah, so we're, he, we're going to get to him, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but because it's totally transferred over, he sees this thing about a guy named Lee, but he just gives it no mind because he doesn't know about Arthur Lee Allen. He is focused entirely on this Rick Marshall character. Yeah, but when he goes to talk to her, and he, at this point he's so convinced it's this Rick guy because we, we do get a creepy scene where he goes to, he sees this this guy uh, because... Who knew Rick. Who, who, who knew Rick. And even thinks this guy himself might be the killer at one point, because that's the, the creepy scene where he's at his house. Because hmm. this guy says to him, hey, yeah, I've got more... Because basically they think the Zodiac killer used to like draw these movie posters for this little theater house. Yeah. And he meets up with this guy who used to run this place, and the guy's like, hey, now nah, let's go back to my place. And I'm like, Jake, especially since at this point, they've made it very clear that Jake Gyllenhaal's character is getting, like, you know, anonymous phone calls of someone breathing. His wife mm. has left them now because she's terrified that the Zodiac's going to come after their family because yeah. he clearly, you know, pays attention to who's talking about him and who's looking into him in the newspaper. Mm. And he goes to this guy's house and he ends up in his basement and cas- he keeps saying, yeah, we think oh, the, the handwriting on this looks kind of like the Zodiac. It's the closest match. He's like, oh, no, Rick didn't write that. I did. And it's just this moment where he's like, oh, shit. I... <laughs> 
I get that it's for the purpose of the scene. Yeah. But this guy could not try to be more creepy. Like, he is doing nothing to help his image. He's <laughs> like, yes, you know, let's go down to my deep, dark basement and I'll talk very softly and calmly yeah. as he I also, stare at you. He also smirks as he's, like, letting him out as if he knows yeah. he scared the shit out of him, which does mm-hmm. make him look kind of guilty in a weird way. Oh, yeah. Um, even though, yeah, everything else points to Arthur Lee Allen. Because that's the thing, Clea Duvall mm. is trying to remember the name. And Jake Gyllenhaal at this point, is because he got scared by this guy, he's so convinced it was this guy named Rick, mm-hmm. that she's like, no, it wasn't something like Rick. No, it wasn't that at all. And Jake Gyllenhaal almost starts arguing with her. He's like, no, it was Rick. It was definitely Rick. Tell me it was Rick. And, like, yeah. and she's like, no, no, no. It was Lee. It was a guy named Lee. And then he's, he's the light bulb goes off. He's like, wait a minute. There's a guy named Lee. And a lot of these, the, the main suspect they had before this was a guy named mm-hmm. Lee. So that sends him down that rabbit hole. And he, what he f- discovers is that compared to the first victim in the movie, he lived... Because as he points out to Mark Ruffalo, that's, uh, this is what really makes it convincing, is that these crimes have all taken place over all these, you know, l- different towns and cities, over mm. hundreds of miles, effectively. This first victim lived 50 yards from Arthur Lee Allen. He was down yep. the street. And he's like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, I walked it. <laughs> it was 50 yards. Yeah. And it's like, okay, th- this is pretty compelling. And this is basically, in this scene, they're both convinced it's him by the end of the scene. But as we pointed mm-hmm. out earlier, we can't prove any of this. We c- This is all circumstantial. It's like, yeah. it's, it, you add it all together and we're pretty convinced. And obviously Ruffalo at this point has met this guy once and was pretty hell-bent on him as well. Oh, yeah. But, I especially love, earlier on in this um, movie, we had... Chloe Savini, who is the girlfriend slash wife, depending on where we are in the story, of Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal starts off as a single dad who's divorced, and then mm-hmm. he meets uh, her, you know, early Sean, and then obviously they have a kid, they get married, and then she yeah. leaves him because he's obsessed with the case. Yeah, and that's one of the scenes I enjoy here because it basically lays out what is Jake Gyllenhaal's goal here. As a character, what does he want? And it's not even to catch the guy. He specifically says, I need to know it is a specific person and i need to see that person face to face that's it that's all i require from this so when we get to the end bits where he's convincing mark ruffalo that here's all the evidence we have laid out like i don't care if it's enough to convict him just tell me that i'm right tell me Mm -hmm. that i have enough evidence that we have gotten to the point where it is beyond a reasonable doubt this man and then I'm going to go and find him, more or less, just to look him in the eye. Oh, it takes him some time, because he writes his book first, because we see the book mm. uh, later. Um, but he goes, because I think when he goes to see him, it's like 1984. It's, so some time, it's another yeah. big time jump before he it's goes to see him. 1983, yep. Or 83, sorry, yeah. And like he's working, you know, Arthur Allen's working this uh, like hardware store, and Jake Gyllenhaal goes in, and after Allen says, hey, can I help you? He says, no, I'm fine. And he just stares at him. And like the scene definitely plays like Arthur Lee Allen has realized who this guy is. And mm-hmm. the eye contact they share is very intense. And this is effectively the ending. Obviously, we have the, the CODA scene in 1991 where yeah. we, we interview the first victim that survived. But this moment is kind of the, yeah, like you said, the climax for his character. And I think he seems to believe this. In fact, one of the notes at the end is that ever since Arthur Lee Allen's died uh mm-hmm. the real person robert graysmith has claimed that you know he was getting these like phone calls that were anonymous that were just breathing for years and mm-hmm. when arthur lee allen died they stopped um yep. 
in fact, they also mentioned earlier on when he was talking to Ruffalo that um, the letters and stuff, there was a gap where whilst mm. he was in prison for something else, all the letters stopped. And then as soon as he got out, oh, here's another letter. You know? Yep. Uh, so there was a lot of things lining up where, you know, it, it, it got pretty convincing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sir, no, I, uh, I, I mean, if I were a jury member, unless a defense lawyer did a hell of a good job of pointing out inconsistencies, I would convict. I can't, I think with all the evidence that's presented in the movie, I'd be like, yep, that seems, maybe we'll have our own juror number seven or whatever that stands <laughs> up and throws out whatever. But I, I think I'd be 100% in on that. I do think that, you know, the movie certainly believes that it's him, I think. Mm. I, I, that, I think that's the stuff. Even though the movie does make it clear that it was never completely proved, and there's, yep. there is definitely a little bit of wiggle room to never be completely sure, the movie, mm. I think, definitely comes at it as it was this guy. And I know that, you know, that makes it maybe inherently slightly biased, because that's what the people making the movie seem to believe. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's worth pointing out, and that there are other schools of thought, uh, which, you know, I, I've not read any of these other books or whatever, so I can't go into it. I'm sure. I'm sure oh, there's yeah. probably a true crime podcast just going through this case. And well, see, that's why. That's why I think with the, as we were saying before, there's this full stop an hour and a half in, and the full stop is where they have gotten the warrant to Arthur Lee Allen's place. They one of the things is that he's ambidextrous, so in order to get handwriting samples, he yeah, needs to yeah. write with both his left and right hands. Um. But they they take all the evidence they can get. They run it by the cops, and it's a no go. He doesn't match the handwriting, and the, the fingerprint doesn't match either. So, because of that, the movie essentially stops at that point and says Arthur Lee Allen's not the guy, and the case goes cold because there's nothing else they can really do about it. And it's at that point that the movie then completely shifts over from the cops' perspective to Graysmith years later starting his own investigation finding out about this guy named Rick Marshall and investigating that through. And that's where I think that wiggle room comes in, where they spend so much in the movie focused on Arthur Lee Allen to the point where, yes, I think that that's the point of it. But they also point out of, well, no, there's we want you to know there is also this other chance that it's this other guy. And we're going to show you the investigation into that as well. But it does cause it to be basically a movie of two completely separate parts. The cops' investigation and Robert Graysmith's investigation. Yeah, because the time jump happens and uh, Ruffalo's partner decides that he's you know, he's put in a transfer. He can't do homicide mm-hmm. anymore. He wants to like you know, work regular hours to be with his kids and stuff. So that so that happens and then there's like a couple of... So I wouldn't say the movie breaks at the exact four-year time jump, but it's right. There's a couple of scenes after that and then it's mm-hmm. it's basically the scene where Gyllenhaal decides to go and visit Robert Downey Jr. That's the scene yeah. where I feel like that second part starts, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so it, yeah. yeah. There's, his there's his wife tells him, his wife tells him, you, nobody has more Zodiac crap than you do. And he's like, there is one other person. Mm-hmm. And he goes and visits Robert Downey Jr. That being said, Robert Downey Jr., um... Through the mild trivia I found, his was the character that was done the most dirty. Oh. In that he, in the movie, his character was a crime beat reporter. Uh, He was reporting on Zodiac. Every once in a while, he would slip in little things of saying, oh, he's a latent homosexual or stuff like that. And it ended up making it that he was targeted by the Zodiac killer. He was told in one of his letters that, you know, he's going to kill Paul Avery. And that caused him to get paranoid, get more 
into drugs and alcohol and such like that until eventually he just kind of became a recluse who was drinking himself to death. None of that. I mean, he go, he was accused by Zodiac, like he was targeted, but he was fine after that. He continued to be a reporter for many years and he never fell into alcoholism or anything like that. So I understand it from the point of a character arc of we have to inspire Graysmith to make his own book, mm-hmm. but it does seem to be a pretty major deviation for a movie that supposedly follows very closely to what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I feel like it bizarrely doesn't focus on it as much as it should. Like, when mm. when you get to this point where it's like, okay, Zodiac has pointed out that he doesn't like what Paul Avery said, and then Paul Avery gets like an anonymous tip to go do something, and this is mm. when Gyllenhaal's having his first date with uh, Chloe Savini's character, and he gets worried because she points out, hey, Wolf is a trap. Like, he got an anonymous tip. This could be the killer leading them into an ambush. <laughs> and they end up waiting up all night to see if he calls to see if anything bad's happened to him. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of tension. And then he's mm-hmm. fine. And I feel like after that moment, it never feels like there's a threat again to his character. Yeah. Well, yeah. he essentially just retreats from the plot. They show him going more alcoholic. He shows up to work drunk. And then he just is gone in one scene. Yeah, this so. could just be a case of, you know, the movie's hitting two hours 40. Yeah. You know, they have to cut something somewhere. And his character just made the most sense that they could... Mm-hmm trim it down on uh, according to trivia the shooting script on this film was 200 pages long so Which, translate that into one minute per page yeah typically it's a minute per page i mean it varies a bit depending on what type of page it is but mm-hmm. that's 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 two hours and uh what 40 minutes that, that's three hours and 20 minutes three hours and 20 minutes sorry yeah so they definitely shut down a lot of stuff that didn't need to be there yeah uh, the director's cut is almost three full hours so there's a good 20 plus minutes extra in that um mm. I don't know if I ever saw the director's cut. I don't think I did. I think I've only ever seen the theatrical cut. This one's pretty beefy, though, so I'm Mm. not sure how much you could convince me uh, (laughs) to devote that extra time. I don't know if it needs it. Uh, It's a pretty compelling movie as it is. (laughs) Look, I did both versions of Justice League. I don't trust director's cuts anymore. (laughs) I mean, sometimes they're worth doing, but I I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, you got to see the director's cut of Zodiac. It completely, you know, changes the experience. Because I think there was a time, especially in the 2000s, where putting out a longer cut to sell a second DVD version became a very common, common thing. Yeah. And so, like, my favorite one is always Gladiator, because there's an introduction from Ridley Scott at the start of Gladiator in that extended edition DVD, where he basically mm. says, yeah, the director's cut's the theatrical cut. I, you know, that was that was the movie I made. I was proud of it. And uh, the, the cuts I made, I made for a reason. But some people are probably interested in a few extra scenes, so here's the extended version. And yeah, the pacing's worse than the extended cut. The theatrical cut is the better version, and yeah. that's basically what it sounded like. So you have to be able to, like, you know, you know, go through the the yeah, and I, I find mean, which like, ones are worth it. But aren't there like four or five different cuts of Blade Runner? There is. That was one though where he did want to fix things, but right. yeah. Um, Alien, the director's cut, is basically just because the studio wanted a new version. Um, mm-hmm. The theatrical cut is the better one. Uh, yeah, there's probably other examples. But yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Ridley Scott's definitely been tied to a lot of movies that have more than one <laughs> cut. Well, luckily, we didn't have to do him this month. We instead got Fincher. <laughs> uh, that's true, that's true. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so as far as other stuff here goes, I mean... 
Robert Graysmith as a character, you know, we've kind of mm. mentioned him a fair bit here, but, you know, he's introduced at the start as being this kind of, you know, fairly nice single dad who's, like, rushing <laughs> his kid off to school. Obviously, when they get the threat about the Zodiac going after a school bus, he, you know, he he gets really nervous about putting his son on the school bus and, like, you know what, I'm just going to drive him, I'm just going to drive him, I'll just, I'll just take him in myself. Yeah. Um, and they can't tell the public about this, they've been told not to by the police, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very much oh, we're in on a secret here and like you know there's some guilt associated with that that I think his character probably yeah. feels in the moment I mean it does eventually leak out or I think eventually the cops say we do have to tell the public because yeah. it is something that is important for them to know um, one thing with the Graysmith character is that I mean from a modern diagnosis I would say that he has some level of autism or something like that just the way that he acts but, of course, in the movie, they get a lot more slur with it, is the best way I could describe it. The R word is yeah. used a couple times, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and, like, they don't treat him as, like, an outcast or a pariah or anything, but they do treat him as weird. They do treat him as, like, what in the hell is that guy doing, sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think that's a case where they're using language that's being used at the time appropriately yeah. in the context of the scenes. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not what we'd say today, but it, it it works in the context here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think his character is intriguing, and it's one of those things where it works better because I know it's a real person that they're they're following mm-hmm. on. Because I would probably say the movie itself doesn't really justify to me why he cares as much as he does. Yeah. I mean. I don't know. I kind of from the beginning of the movie, he's obviously very interested in it. Um, even to the point where he's looking at the witness description of the uh, people on the lake and he sketches out what they would, what would they were describing the Zodiac killer looks like. Mm. He's obviously interested in it. I do think it's just kind of the detriment to the character of how it's structured in that we go through a good half this movie and we barely really check in on him. He He's hearing the news as it comes out. We see him taking it in. But he's not able to act on any of it until an hour till the end. And it's, I think from a different standpoint, if it were actually like just a normally written screenplay rather than adapted to real life, he would be acting on this stuff constantly. From the first time he gets it, he would be trying to do these things. He would be the one that's solving some of the puzzles and cracking some of the codes rather than random other people. The other stuff that kind of feels like... You know, everything with his relationship with Chloe Savini to me feels, again, like it's born out of like being based on a real character, a real person, mm. than it is about what makes most sense for the movie. Because part of me thinks that, would you just save a bit of time by having them just already be married at the start, even though that's not really what happened? Yeah. You know? Like, obviously, yeah, there's some chemistry, and it is kind of cute that she wants to, like, wait up and see if Robert Downey Jr. is okay, you know, on their first date. There's, you know, it does humanize him a bit, so maybe there is some value there as far as, like, making mm-hmm. you like him as a character. But, of course, the rest of the movie is just kind of their relationship breaking down slowly. You know, the, it kind of glosses over the happy period where they fell yeah. in love and had a kid of their own. I was going to say, during that time skip, they got married, had a kid, they had the other kids there as well. It was... There's a lot to it. I do love the one remark that's made here. Apparently, the only thing that Roger Graysmith said when shown the screenplay of this movie is, wow, I totally get why my wife divorced me now. (laughs) That's pretty funny. 
Uh, all it says at the end about him is that he has a healthy relationship with his children. Yeah. That's what it says at the end. Nothing about the wife. Nothing about hey, the wife. good on him. I do, I, I also want to point out, there's one point in this movie where, um, before he starts getting information regarding Rick Marshall, mm-hmm. we do still have Grace Smith pushing, trying to find something out. And he's going down, like, all the conspiracy theory routes. Like, there's one point where he's saying that, oh, it's... The killings were all timed with phases of the moon. Oh, that's right. And like it was done on the solstice or whatever. I I appreciate the fact that they show him going down these dead ends, even when it's not a suspect. That's actually quite a good uh, character scene because this is before his wife's left with the kids and he's got his kids like fact checking all these moon dates Mm -hmm. uh, in the books. Uh, Because he's like, oh yeah, I've got a team working on it. And then he's like, who's my team? Oh, just colleagues. And then you just hear one of the kids go, dad. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like okay, that's that, that's that's a little funny, and it gives it a little bit of levity because he is a real person. There should be levity yeah. in his life, especially since as much as the movie gives you the bullet points of all these dark things that were happening that were inspiring all this like obsession, again, like it skips over all the the downtime when he's just married with kids and when he's got all yeah. these other things going on, which is it's funny because I was saying that other than humanizing, do we get a lot out of? him meeting his wife right and like going through that journey and what i just said there's kind of contradicts that in a weird way because i'm like maybe if they did more with that i would understand why we got that meeting with the wife and that that start Mm. because if we were going to explore that relationship more and see how happy they are for a while before it starts to break down but because it kind of skips over that and it's already starting to kind of break down because she's already you know it's not very long before she's starting to get stressed that, oh, you're writing a book about the Zodiac, and yeah. no, I'm scared. I'm scared for her family because, you know. Yeah, it's it was when it made the jump, at least the way I picked it up in the movie, it's when it made the jump of, here's just your little scrapbooking thing that you do in your spare time, and here's where it can actually impact the rest of your family. And once it made that transition, that's where she's not okay with it. Yeah, and... I, I guess when they did spend the time to introduce her with that date scene and like how cute that was, it mm-hmm. felt like she was going to be a bigger character than I think she ended up being. I think you know she ended yeah. up just being the wife who leaves him. When it felt like no, we're going to see how this affects his relationship beyond just the broad strokes that we do see. Right? So uh, you know, it's, it's not like a huge critique because the movie's so stuffed yeah. anyway. But like you know, I'm just like if I'm poking at things and saying, okay, where's some things where the structure of this movie and what it does have to spend time on, where does it maybe lose something as a result? Uh, there was there was a sequence where right after he got done with essentially his horror movie scene of meeting the guy down in his basement with the movie posters, mm-hmm. he gets back home and his wife has taken the kids and gone to her mom's house. And it says, don't call. And he gets home. He thinks something has happened to his family, obviously, because they've all just disappeared from the house until he sees the note. But then as soon as he sees the note, the scene just cuts to him interviewing the sister in the jail who says that the name was Lee. And it doesn't feel like there is any real fallout to her having taken the kids. In fact, she shows up maybe two or three scenes later and gets him copies of Arthur Lee Allen's driver's (laughs) license. And it's like there's interstitial scenes here. There are things that have happened in the middle that we're just not seeing. I mean, I think you could almost make the point that by cutting to just his next part of the investigation... It shows just how much he's focused on that, that he doesn't even... 
Like, once he knows yeah. they're okay, he's not even that upset <laughs> that they're yeah. gone. He's like, oh, I can, fo- I, can, I can devote my time to this properly now. I'm not right. weighed down by the wife and kids. <laughs> I, can, I can do this. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the license plate's a big deal. Oh, not the license plate, sorry. The li- driver's license uh, mm-hmm. is a big deal because one of the bits of evidence that comes up... So this is, let's go back a little bit to yes. when the Zodiac apparently requested... Uh, to talk to a lawyer via a TV show, right? Mm-hmm. And this lawyer turns out he's a famous lawyer. Uh, I googled him because they mentioned he was in Star Trek, so he did a bit of acting. But he, he, you know, he was an advisor to JFK or some of that. He he had some big okay. profile things. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian Cox plays him in the movie, and they do this whole thing where they try to trace the call, and it's you know it's nineteen sixty nine or whatever. So you know, yeah. technology is what it is. And they're trying to do all this, and it turns out later that this isn't the real Zodiac who's on the the call, right? Because mm-hmm. and he sounds different to us. I think you can sort of tell that he's, he's this is someone different. Um, mm-hmm. But later on, um, at Christmas, the the lawyer reveals that he got a letter from Zodiac. Right? It's just after mm-hmm. Christmas. The Christmas tree's still up, and he's like, "Hey, I got this letter," and. It turns out the Zodiac phoned his house, but he wasn't here. He was away for a week. So the, the yep. housemaid or whoever answered the phone. And this is all something that's set up here. Later on, when Hall's looking into all this and he wants to talk to this guy to to you know, get some information about it, he's, he's actually just waiting around for him because he's busy. And hmm. it's the housemaid starts talking to him and he mentions that he's writing this book on Zodiac. And she's like, yeah, talk to him. Um, and he's like, you mean your boss? No, no, the Zodiac. He called here. I talked to him. So he ends yeah. up getting this first-hand account from this woman who says, yeah, he said it was his birthday. And he's like, mm-hmm. wait, what date was that? He's like, well, I can't remember exactly, but, you know, the the lawyer left on this day and he was back five days later on Christmas, so it had to have been, you know, I think it was the 18th to the 20th. It was in that Yeah, it was like window. a super narrow band right before yeah. Christmas. So it's like this three-day period, very called, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay... Like, did he mess up and give his real birthday there? Was it was he having like a moment of weakness? And sure Which, enough, when we get well, his date, well, when we get our yeah. Alan's date of birth, it mm-hmm. falls exactly in that time period. Yeah, but it's also worth noting that this information is found very early into his Rick Marshall investigation, mm-hmm. and so when he talks to people, he just files it away because it doesn't fit the narrative. He's like, oh, he probably was just lying. He was probably just making something yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then once it comes out that. We had Arthur Leon was born on December 18th. He's like, oh my God, he was telling the truth. What an idiot. Yeah, and it really does paint the idea that Zodiac was begging for attention and mm. maybe he was like depressed at Christmas and yeah. was calling this lawyer and, you know, said something he shouldn't have done. There was, if we're talking in that other thing of things he shouldn't have done, I think one of the biggest points to bring up is his, I guess it was coworker, brother-in-law, whatever the relation was, where he just told him everything. He just said his entire plan to this guy. Well, yeah, but this is before he's done any of it, though. So this is like... Right, exactly. You know, but he's, he says, like, I would take the name Zodiac. I would kill these people and the cops wouldn't be able to catch me because they'd be too far behind. Like, he was laying out the entire plan to this guy. This is one of the things that really make him think it's Alan, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and they get, they get the warrant. This is what gets them the warrant, I think, now I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah. And they say, wait, why? Like, he's coming with forward with all this now, and it's you know at this point it's been like two years set into the investigation, and like, why didn't we know about this? And it's like, no, he did call in. There's a record of him calling his local station, and they just kind of didn't take it seriously, or they filled it away, and it got lost in the shuffle. 
infuriating <laughs> like if they if they actually got that at the time as soon mm-hmm. as he called it in like the difference it could have made they could have got a warrant before they talked to alan and he wouldn't have gotten rid of his evidence it may yeah. have completely solved the case at the point um so yep. yeah uh, it is it's very interesting it's almost funny though because we have a scene in this where these characters are watching dirty harry and they're mad about how it's representing the fictionalized version of zodiac i, I just mm-hmm. want to see a scene in real life of all the real people still alive watching zodiac for the first time and how they're reacting oh yeah like are they as mad at the system as we are watching it um so you know things like that i mean it's also one of those things where i'm sure that you know fincher has gone through and he's pulled a graysmith he has collated all this evidence together mm. he's gotten it all into one strict narrative so i wonder how many of the people who are actually alive watching this didn't know a certain aspect happened and they're like wait a minute you had oh, that yeah. the whole time god that, yeah it. that's possible i mean obviously i mean ruffalo's character has those moments when mm-hmm. Jill Hall tells him stuff towards the end in the diner but if you think about all the characters who kind of had already like distanced themselves like his partner for example who'd already like not yeah. quit but he transferred to a different department mm-hmm. like he probably yeah, didn't know a lot of stuff that had come up after he was done with it and maybe i mean maybe he talked to ruffalo's character as a friend and got just like told casually yeah. some of this stuff but it's, it's entirely possible that if he's still alive in 2007 when the movie comes out that he, he sees the movie and is like wait a minute <laughs> i didn't know this part uh, it, it, that is entirely possible the, the the collation of information is very is is probably the biggest thing in this movie that feels like mm-hmm. it's like a warning of uh more than anything else yeah so i mean that's that's I think one of the because it's because it's a biopic, it's hard to come across like a central theme, a central point that it's trying to get across. But I do think that one of the things that it is very definitively saying is no people need to work together to solve these things. People need to be actively trying to help each other. And when stuff falls through the cracks, like they were saying with the um the brother in law reporting uh Arthur that's the sort of thing that if they had more manpower, if they had more attention to detail sort of thing, and they were able to keep an eye on these things, it wouldn't have fallen through the cracks. It would have been something that this could have been solved decades earlier. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, the brother-in-law thing is interesting because they go and talk to him again with his wife, who is Arthur's sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... They say, yeah, we don't really see him anymore because of the whole, you know, pedophile thing. And I'm like, fair enough. I. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good enough reason to cut ties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, uh, like she she even doesn't seem surprised or at the very oh, least yeah. she feels quite accepting that, yeah, my brother might be this guy. <laughs> like this feels... Well, the, the whole reason they get the warrant is because they ask the sister specifically. They're like, or no, the sister asks his therapist. And despite mm. the fact that he is unable to give too much information, she directly asks, could he have killed somebody? Is he of that mental state? And the therapist says, yeah. And that's what kind of leads them down the path of being able to get a warrant to his place. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, it's an examination of, like, basically why we didn't solve this at the time. Mm-hmm. It's an examination of, like, why things didn't come together. And, yeah, it has that, like... You know, the reason why I think a lot of people like these true crime, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, you had FBI files, forensic files, all mm-hmm. these things, which were all about going to say the cold cases and 
or even just examining how they caught killers in modern times relative to the time mm-hmm. and i think the the thing that there's like a, a macabre fascination with it you know obviously it's a very popular genre i've never been into like actual true crime documentaries by any means but there is kind of an eeriness of like okay this guy did this and he almost became kind of like a a myth because he didn't get caught you know right there's almost that quality to him where and you know it's point it's even pointed out in the movie robert Downey jr uh when jake gyllenhaal goes to see him to try and convince him to write the book and this is basically we see him like once after this like watching tv in a bar but this is effectively downey jr's last proper scene mm-hmm. and he says like more people die like on this one interstate like a year than yeah. the zodiac is killed in his entire you know career of being a killer like it's mm-hmm. not and the scale of victims it's not actually that high it reminds me a little bit of uh halloween 2018 there's a line in it where okay. someone says uh i mean is this michael myers guy really that big a deal he killed like five people with a knife in 1978 mm-hmm. like there's mass shootings constantly now that are far more brutal but i think something like zodiac proves that there is kind of a mystique to the method and Mm. it almost feel like a character in the persona that he wanted to portray but from oh, a yeah. but from a examination point of view and you you sort of think about it critically you look at me go yeah this is someone who is disturbed who wants to present this character and sadly mm-hmm. he kind of got what he wanted he, he did build this mystique around who he was he built this oh yeah you know yeah that was um the first scene when they get the letter from zodiac with the cryptic like the uh code in there he sends it out to three different places, and immediately the publishers of the newspapers are basically saying, like, can we publish? Are we, like, they, they are basically trying to balance their ethics and morals of we shouldn't be giving this guy what he wants, and this is news. So at what point do they do that? And they basically conference with all the other papers and say, like, okay, we'll put it in, but we'll put it on, like, page four. Yeah, Like, that way we're and, not as responsible as someone who puts it on page one. Which is a very cynical thing to say. Right. Um, but I, I, I think, yeah, this comes into a conversation about killers and stuff where I think there's a general belief now that we shouldn't, like, glamorize hmm. them in the sense that, you know, there, there's definitely been a time period where, like, there's too much of a focus on them instead of the victims. And as a result, it almost inspires other people who are you know capable of doing such a thing because they think they can reach that yeah. same level of infamy it's, it's definitely a more accepted belief now that no you shouldn't put their face everywhere you shouldn't make them like a, a, a you know a, a dark celebrity if you will um yeah. because it just kind of inspires more to do the same and i think this is i guess one of the earliest examples of someone trying to actually intentionally build their public persona their their profile mm-hmm. like this um yeah. and maybe and it's maybe the only example of it being this blatant and successful but obviously that i can think of but then again i'm no expert in all this true crime stuff yeah no i mean i'm same here i'm not huge into true crime i do think the difference here with other ones you know they already have the names out there they yeah, they want to yeah. be famous for the people that they already are whereas i think that zodiac is playing more on the idea of people love a good mystery and so like his very first letter he sends in is filled with these three uh, codes, these three things that need to be cracked. And it says that if you crack it, you'll get his identity. People love that idea of a mystery. You're given all the clues and you have to solve it through yourself. Oh yeah. Although I'm sure that wasn't his thought process though. Oh, people will love this. They'll get a kick out of this. They'll love a good mystery. You say that, but I think it's, it's something that 
he was considering and that people were getting engaged with it. It's something that if he oh, were to yeah, say like, but... oh, I killed these people and that's it then yes, he would get a little bit of airtime or whatever. It's more self-serving though. Like obviously oh, yeah. that, that effect is happening, but I don't think he's doing this. The, the the primary reason why he's doing it is not to give people a satisfying mystery to, to mull over. Right. Uh, oh yeah, no, I, for I, sure. It's more about building the mystery of him because it makes him feel more powerful. Like he is yeah. some sort of demented version of the Riddler. You know, like he's mm-hmm. he's getting away with it. He's taunting them. And again, right. that scene where he's with the police, he's taunting them with the evidence. Yeah. Um, and that was um that's kind of goes into what I was thinking of with like the whole movie though of people love a good mystery if they are handed if you hit, take somebody you hand them all the facts and you say here are all the things that definitively happened and then tell them to sort it out most people will try most people will try to figure out like what is the final thing here it's the reason why there are so many true crime podcasts why there are so many mystery movies and tv shows and why it has been able to sustain itself for decades now and, it's because people love that sort of thing and maybe as well you could extend this to the reason why he never actually kills ray smith admittedly it seems like he stopped killing i mean at least as far as we know obviously he could have mm. had more victims that he didn't announce and no one ever connected the dots but right it seems like he did stop at a certain point maybe because the heat was too strong mm. but the reason why partially why he never maybe killed robert or went after him or his family is because if he was seeking the attention of people like wanting to obsess over him then robert graysmith was basically his number one like fan it was it was the person who was giving him what he wanted the most so he loved that this guy was obsessing over and trying to solve the mystery it's almost Mm -hmm. like he wanted to see if he could do it and yeah he effectively seemingly did but obviously it just it couldn't lead to anything we'll never know i do want to point out there's one thing that this movie didn't cover at least as far as i remember oh go on uh there was another code so there were two codes that were shown in the movie. One was the one that was split into three parts and was solved almost immediately by some amateur code breakers. Yep. And then another one was solved by a Graysmith himself. There was another one that I don't think was shown in the movie, which was actually only just cracked in 2020. Whoa, okay. A, and it's mainly because he messed up the code method about halfway through. And it caused the remainder to become a jumbled mess. So even when people thought they were going down the right path, it just didn't work. But then they figured out exactly how he messed it up and they were able to correct for that. that, And they got the rest of the message. Probably why it's not in the movies, because at the time Mm. there was no like solution to it. So yeah, Yeah, it wouldn't have been a satisfying thing to say. And here's this code that nobody's been able to get. Did did, it was anything interesting? No, it was just uh, all of his codes basically said the same thing of I murder people because they will give me servants in the afterlife and blah, blah. It's just more of that stuff. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, That is interesting, though. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's obviously a fascinating story. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the sort of thing where even if it's not Arthur Lee Allen, you can definitely examine whoever the Zodiac is based on his actions about what he's getting out of it and why he's doing it the way he's doing it. Because it's almost mm-hmm. like the thrill of killing someone is obviously what came first. But yeah. this other thrill that he obviously developed was... And it, it maybe makes you wonder, like, is it because someone recognized him at that, that, that murder... Did he feel something there where he liked that someone knew, you know, before he killed her? Did he like that, that feeling? Yeah. And that's what led to him wanting to, like, seek out this infamy and recognition for, for who he is and what he does. 
you know i i don't know i'm, yeah, I'm a I mean, psychologist i'm just <laughs> i mean for me i think it comes down to the same sort of thing that again riddler where it's an ego thing i think that he mm. sees himself as superior to the police superior to all these people that's why he spit out that first code and he's like ah oh, this will have my real name in it and obviously he didn't just on the off chance that someone could solve it but i don't as they say in the movie I don't think he expected it to be broken by just amateur code breakers. Just a couple that was sitting and having coffee one morning deciding, yeah, let's give it a shot, see if we can break it. Like, that, I think, knocked his ego down a bit, and that's why he had to come back harder with a much more difficult cipher that was only solved. And arguably a much more brutal killing, because that's before the, yeah, the lake stabbing. So maybe that almost, like, you know, fueled this anger in him that made him want to do a more vicious attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could see that. That that definitely kind of tracks in some way. Um, it's, it's interesting, like sort of analyzing the character like this because we're kind of analyzing a real person, but you mm-hmm. know we're doing but it also the, the movie. But we're doing it in the context of the movie, which is what we're really here for. Uh, yeah. it's, it's why talking about movies based on true stories is always a bit weird because you're mm-hmm. like I'm analyzing it in the context of a movie, but it also probably applies to the person, and I don't necessarily want to make big broad psychological because i'm not not, like i i I can analyze movies i analyze characters the fact that it can also relate to a real person is is fine Mm. but i i i want to make it clear that at no point when i'm talking about a movie like this am i trying to solve or analyze the real people like i'm not i'm just not (laughs) see that's i make that same decision here if you have to analyze it with the movie specifically because i've watched a bunch of different like not documentaries but these sort of movies where it's the light fictionalization applied to a narrative of American founding fathers. And depending on which ones you watch, like maybe Thomas Jefferson was a saint that like was great at everything. Maybe he was the worst man ever, but it depends on which one you're watching that you're going to get that version out. It's the same sort of thing here with they decided this is the way that Zodiac acted, the way he behaved. Here's how Arthur Lee Allen behaved. And we're basing our information off of that, but it's only the information that's given via this movie. Yeah, and obviously the movie makes a lot of decisions about how it portrays certain people. Some people mm-hmm. may come off looking better or worse than they did in real life, you know, depending yeah. on you know things. So clearly, Paul Avery did not make it out of this well. <laughs> yeah, but he was long dead by the time the movie came out, so he wasn't there to fight uh, anything. True. True. Uh, so yeah i mean zodiac is very good i think mm-hmm. it is a very compelling watch uh the real story is compelling so that obviously helps it and the way it explores it's got that kind of the, the, the crime we can never completely solve kind of ambiguity at the end but mm-hmm. it feels like hey we probably know it's him um yeah that all builds some intrigue it is well directed um other than some of the you know a couple of dodgy cg like establishing shots um there's mm-hmm. also like a cg like there's a building it's, i'm sure it's a famous building in san francisco but there's like i think it's during the cab just before the cab murder there's like a bird's eye view of like the car going around yeah and you can mm-hmm. see like the it's like the foundation of this building just it's just there it's like a pit with like the basement and like the, the concrete and then there's like a montage later like a time lapse where it's being built over the course of the year and it's this mm-hmm. pointy building i'm sure it's like a famous building in san francisco that everyone oh, yeah. who lives there I'm knows sure. what it is but uh so uh, that didn't bother me too much, but there are some CG, you know, intros to scenes that are are a little iffy. Uh, and I, like I say, the the digital video, whatever it was, Fincher was using to film uh, this like panic room uh, does, mm. you know, in dark scenes does have its 
faults because it gets really noisy in the dark areas, but you know, right. that's what it is. Uh, I just looked it up. It's the Transamerica Pyramid. It was the building it was called. Fair enough. Yep. <laughs> Fair enough. Second result on San Fran famous buildings. So, yes, it's likely famous. I mean, when I think of San Francisco, I think of the Golden Gate Bridge and I think mm-hmm. of the pier because it's that, you know, it says San Francisco and that pier building that you always see. For me, it's Golden Gate Bridge and like the hills because there's so many video games that are set on those oh, hills. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, if, you, if you make me think of like the typical San Francisco street, yes, I'm thinking of those steep hills. And the same yeah. way that if you say think of a New York street, I'm thinking of yellow taxi cabs and yeah. like, you know, graffiti and shit or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, so. So yeah, uh, I, I guess that'll that'll get us on to the ratings then. I think obviously, like, there's so many details in the movie, we could sit here yeah. and try and dissect more of them. But I, I think we're probably good at this point. Mm-hmm. So, what are your ratings, Zodiac? So, I I really like the content of it. Like I said, there are some structural problems from the sense of a narrative where it just comes to a full stop and switches to a totally separate narrative. But I still enjoy the movie. There's a reason I've come back to it like four or five different times now. It's it's a solidly made film. I enjoy the characters in it. I think that it's a solid mystery being told. I do think that it's not quite as up there in terms of quality as something like Seven or at least what I think of Fight Club. But it is still very good. So I'm going to give this one an 8.5 overall. Yeah, I think I'm going with a really solid 8 out of 10 for me. It's... It's very compelling. I think it's an easy watch despite its length, and you get into the mystery of it. Um, it, it does have so many names and details flying around. That I think mm-hmm. when Gyllenhaal's investigating things in the last, especially when he's running around the precinct getting more evidence, and he's, he, he'll, he'll mention a name and go, oh, that! And I'm like, okay, I don't remember who that is, but I'll just go with you. Um, this is. It was one of those times where I wish the structure of the film would have been slightly different to where it allowed for the like flashback cutaways Mm. so as he's describing something happening we could see the characters involved with it on screen yeah oh to be fair though the people he's talking about sometimes we never saw anyway so that would be quite tough uh to do it's probably why it's probably why they didn't do that so yeah i I think yeah uh, the the biggest things going against it are just the little nitpicks of you know like i say the visuals the cg um and the structure and the, probably the, the biggest thing, though, why I wouldn't go higher than that, uh, and again, it's a very solid 8 out of 10, mm-hmm. is just that compared to a film that is completely fictional, you can't structure and like have complete character arcs in the same way that you would in something like Seven, where it is a full meal. Whereas right. here, there's certain things you have to do differently because it's based on a real thing. Even if they are taking some liberties here or there, and I'm sure they are, uh there are, there are some drawbacks to doing that, which I, I never find it's, as compelling as just a full fictional story. But uh, yeah. it is a very good example of what it is and is definitely, you know, um, of what we've done so far. It's definitely up there with some of the best stuff Venture's done. So Yeah, for sure. Uh, but there you go. That is that. Uh, next time... Well, hold on. I'm going to cut you off quick. Does oh, yeah? it make the cut? Oh, yeah, it makes the cut. Yeah, absolutely. All right, continue. <laughs> not a cut above but it makes the cut i I, I agree with that uh yeah next time we get to a divisive film in david Mm. fincher's filmography we get to the curious case of benjamin button this is such a a weird follow-up to zodiac to me (laughs) it's such a weird follow-up 
but we'll see we'll see how we feel i've only seen this once i saw it in theaters when it oh. came out okay i watched what i believe was the first 20 minutes and then i just bailed it i just Ooh. wasn't interested and i think it isn't it one of the ones that has like a really long run time i think it's quite one of the long i think it's long. so it was probably yeah. just a thing where i was like you know i have better things to do today than watch naked old brad pitt baby yeah yeah uh i mean we'll see we'll see i i don't remember being too fond about it um it's one of those things where i don't think i knew what it was really like obviously i knew no. who fincher was but i think it was basically just friends were going to the movies i was like okay yeah i'll go with you and that's mm. just what the new movie was and then it was oh it's the new david fincher movie interesting and then i saw the movie and was like <laughs> okay that was some choices um, well, that happened so we'll we'll see we'll see how it holds up we'll see how it holds up i never hear anyone talk about it unless they're referencing someone aging backwards in which case they'll say i was gonna say benjamin buttoning is a verb now yeah like it's it's a thing that people have accepted into the culture but i don't think half of the people who mention it have even heard of the movie itself yeah um it's funny because it's kind of like the character version of memento right you know memento is mm. a movie that goes backwards benjamin button's a person that goes backwards yeah that's fair <laughs> uh and we did memento already so again things yes, come in full circle isn't that mm -hmm. nice uh <laughs> so yes uh, that's next time and of course i have to mention the bonus content that you can get over at patreon.com slash tv um you get a bonus show every month uh, there's two there's one that you get at three dollars and up and then you can get the second one if you're five dollars and up so mm -hmm. uh you get the bonus episode at three dollars and up um although that's switching to the criterion show uh soon but either way you get a bonus show at that tier and then at the five dollar tier you get the extra real show which is mm -hmm. basically some of the worst movies ever made and we try to make sense of them some of them are so <laughs> bad they're amazing some of them are so bad that we question our existence on this earth and whether or not any of this is worth it but uh hopefully that sounds fun uh so yeah this is the month where we're doing our last regular bonus episode and we're doing the snowman because that's what won mm. the uh, vote so uh next yep. month it switches to the criterion show being the monthly patreon show at that tier um so that's the best of the best and x reels is the worst of the worst so that is the ah, boy. format but you can get yeah. those, you can get bonus shows for the other movie podcasts, you can get bonuses for all sorts of things uh, over at Patreon. Uh, but most importantly, you're helping the content and keeping it coming and showing you you like the shows. So uh, mm -hmm. by all means, please do. Uh, you can also support us uh, for free by simply hitting that like button. It helps more people find the podcast and find the channel. So please uh, do give it a click. Uh, it's the free way to support us. If you can't give us money, don't feel bad. Just hit the heart. For I mean, feel bad enough that you do hit the heart, though. There's got to be a little guilt built in there. I mean, if you feel really guilty, hit the heart, hit the bell, hit the yeah. the comment button with something really nice and sweet. You may Please, I'd, I, I'd really like to eat this week, if you could. I mean, I don't <laughs> want to trouble you, but... Um, by all means, you know, pucker up, uh, you know, <laughs> inflate our egos. Yeah. You know, um... We're no zodiacs or anything, but like you may, uh, you know, <laughs> make us feel at least a little bit like a mastermind. Oh, okay, that's what you're going for. I was like, how are we about to equate ourselves with a serial killer in a way that comes out positive? I don't know. No, I don't no, know no, where no, you're no. going with that. No, 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 no. I wasn't going down that route. You're fine. You're fine. Okay, good. Uh, but yeah, that is zodiac. 
Uh, and we'll see you next time for the curious case of Benjamin Button. So thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies. And before I kill you, I'm going to throw your Gary Busey out the window. <gasps>